0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Uh, we'll begin to speak about one of the most. Um, when you ask somebody what when they when I say Purim, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? Many people, <clears throat> unfortunately, the first thing is going to be alcohol. Um, so if you think about it. Purim, drunk. So let's speak a little bit about alcohol. Maybe we'll touch a little bit about alcoholism, Um, but alcohol is a very, very hot topic. Um, It's a very, you know, it's it's one of the things that people actually look forward to. There are many alcoholics that finally feel like they're at home. That one day a year, they don't, they're not out of the ordinary. They could actually drink themselves uh, drunk till almost death. Um, So we have to understand this whole idea about alcohol in Judaism. The there's, it's, it's very interesting because you look at alcohol and you look at Judaism. Those things don't really seem to go, you know, hand in hand together. They seem to be very different. And especially if you look at it from the from the secular world. Um, and I forgot. I think it's Islam, Islam. If you drink, you're not allowed to drink alcohol in Islam. I think it's yeah, like, ver- not allowed, it's not, not right. Allowed. It's not allowed. It's like very frowned upon. It's like you know, and you know, there, there are certain things that. But yet, yeah, Judaism. Not only do we allow it, we embrace it, and we encourage it. And We even actually push it that you should drink to such a level on Purim. Wrong, so. No, no. Wine it's supposed to be wine. Well, we'll speak about everything, right? We'll speak about the the levels and what he's supposed to drink, what you shouldn't drink. Um, so so, but the idea to before we even get to that is try to understand the whole concept of alcohol, the whole concept of what where alcohol uh, lies and and what its actual purpose is. So when you look in the Gemara, you look in the uh, you know, there's many many different ideas that it speaks about wine. You look at Gemara Brachot, for example, page forty-eight. It says nothing causes more grief than wine, and then you look at another Gemara in Sanhedrin, page 43 that says something that, you know, they used to do when you used to do capital punishment. So, when somebody would be, let's say, hung or stoned or whatever it is that they had to, it was a death penalty, they would give the, the you know, the, the person who's dying a very a lot of alcohol, like strong wine. So, even though that he is, he is getting the capital punishment, but at least it's going to, sort of like a numbness, and, you know, think of it as anesthesia, something like, something that it will, uh, um, you know, sort of numb the, the actual pain from it. So, we see over here that, that wine is not really always associated with the best and funnest times. And uh, But then again, you look, the, you look in the Torah, you look in the Tehilim, Psalms, Chapter 104, verse 15. It says, Wine makes someone happy. And that we know for sure. Everybody could, could uh, attest to that. That wine lifts your spirit. It actually lifts your spirit uh, you know, up. And in fact, the Gemara in Psachim, uh, in page 109a, says... Now that there's no temple, because now the temple is destroyed, there's no happiness other than wine. Which is something we have to also understand, these concepts. What does that mean? You're trying to tell me that if somebody is is happy, it must be that they're drunk, otherwise there's no such thing as happiness. Um, so there are many, many, many ideas on it, and it, it even says, that the Gemara in Sanhedrin, says, Yayin, wine, wine. Wine makes the wicked people's face red in this world and whitens it out of embarrassment in the next world. From all the certain things sins that the person does when they when they uh, drink wine. So when you think about the origin of wine, there's, there's a fascinating midrash that speaks about uh, the origin of uh, you know of, of alcohol in in a sense, um, you know, and, and how the Satan got involved in it. There was Noah when when Noach came out of the, the of the ark, he planted a vineyard. He wanted to, he wanted to produce grapes. So comes Satan. The Satan comes over to him and says. Uh, you know what you're doing. So he says, you know, I'm planting a, uh, a vineyard. So the Satan says, mind if I if I help out? says of course. You know why not? Come, Enjoy. crazy midrash. And so so the satan goes, and they plant that they plant this this uh, the the seeds inside there. Then the satan goes and takes a sheep and uh, a lamb. I'm sorry, takes a lamb, slaughters the lamb over over the over the root. Then they take a monkey and they slaughter it over also the monkey over the um. I'm sorry, they take a the lion next. Also, they slaughter the lion, then they take a monkey, they slaughter the monkey, and then they take a pig and they slaughter the pig. So, you know, and, and the hints are, are these things is once, if you have one shot, one cup of wine, so then you're like a lamb. You're like buzzed, you're chilled, everything's relaxed, you're okay. Once you take a second shot, all of a sudden you're like brave like a lion. You all of a sudden get up and be like, what's up, bro? Yeah, you wanna go? All of a sudden you could take on the entire world. I knew people, I knew, whatever, I'm talking about shots, shots of whatever it is. Once you, there's levels, there's levels. When you take one, when you, take, when you drink a little bit, you get buzzed, you're light, you're relaxed, you're chilled out, you're, you're cruising, and then you drink a little bit more, suddenly you get hyped up. You're like, I wanna fight that person. You know, and that person could be like, the UFC championship, and you're like, I could take it. Right? And even if you're four foot five, Weigh 350 pounds. You could just roll to, to, to the place. You're like, I got this. Yeah, you have this courage that comes on, and this is the courage that actually that you know that many people um, you know take it on to different levels where they people you know call people they shouldn't be calling when they drink a little bit. They text people they shouldn't be texting when they drink. I think we all get the the, the gist of it. Yeah. Then you drink a little bit more, you become like a monkey. You know, you become like a monkey jumping around. You're crazy. You're doing all these crazy things. You're falling over yourself. You're swinging from place to place. And finally, you drink even more. You become like a pig, rolling in your own feces. You vomit and you roll in it, just like a pig is. So that is the steps that actually uh, that actually uh, goes on to become. Now there's a, there's a um, another mitrash in the Amid that says like this. That says fascinating, amazing. When wine and there's a nichnas yain yatsasod. You know, wine goes in. Secrets come out. That's literally said, and it, that's what that's uh, you know how how they explain it. And you take you know there's a numerical there's something called numerical value. Numerical value is like you know think of it as a equals one, b equals two, c equals three, and, and so on and so forth. The same the same idea think about it in the alphabet. So alpha is one, beta is two, gimbal is three, you know so on and so forth. So you take the numerical value. Of yain, which is wine, it's seventy. You take the numerical value of sod, which is secret, is also seventy. Which means as you take the wine in, you take the seventy in, and what comes out the seventy, the secret comes out, and that's what happens. When some people start, you know, chugging some some uh, some alcohol, all some people start opening up and be like, you know, and they tell you the worst secrets in they way, like you know, dude, don't tell me these things. I don't want to know these things. And they open up to you, and that is one of the uh, of the of the character traits of wine. So, when you uh, when you think of alcohol. So we, we threw out some ideas in it. I want to put it in perspective and I want to go into, you know, when you think about alcohol, um, especially if you think about it in the, in the, in the world that we live in today. So what happens if someone drinks a lot of alcohol and what, in these, all these bars, they, they besides that, they, there, there's, there's bar fights. What, well, all the, it's constant, it's aggression. You know, a guy, a guy's an alcoholic. He goes home, what does he do? He beats his wife. Does that mean that all of a sudden that alcohol, not everybody, but there's the, there's, the, there's a nice, heavy, uh, you know, so, so, uh, you go and, and you think about this guy. This guy, is alcohol just bringing out the bad, the like, he, he was such a sweet guy, and all of a sudden he drinks, and he becomes a wild maniac. Is that really what alcohol does? Or really, or really what alcohol does, is this guy, all along he wanted to beat his wife. He always wanted, he just had this like tiny filter in his head, that says every time he wanted to smack her, it's like, hold up a second. You know, it's not gonna be good for the long run, you know, do you like half your stuff, you wanna, you know, see the kids, just maybe not be good, that when you drink the alcohol, it's sort of just like, it flies out of the window and you do it. So this guy who's drinking and then is hitting his wife, he the whole time wants to hit his wife. The only difference is, is now he had the filter. Now that he doesn't have the filter because the alcohol took it away. And so now he goes and he goes and he's able to hit his wife. So you could tell a lot about a person when a person's drunk. When a person drinks a lot, you could tell a lot about what's really going inside that person. If, you, if that person drinks and all of a sudden he's, every other word is a curse word. Every time he sees a woman walk across the street and starts yelling profanities at her. Every time that he, he just, just the, the dirtiest things that come out, out of his mouth. Then you know that guy is just a dirty guy. That's who he is inside. But if a guy is drinking and he's like sitting over there and he's all, pla- you know, whatever it is and he's like I love God and he's like it's all about this and then he goes to his wife and be like honey I love you the most amazing woman you know men in general have a very hard time expressing themselves you know they have a hard time saying I love you to their wife so they drink and all of a sudden they start saying I love you so which is an amazing thing, because that means all along your husband really loves you inside. It just, it's very hard for them to express it. You have the alcohol that it take, comes it out. So we see here a very fundamental, it's not even a, I would say secret, but it's not a secret, fundamental character trait of wine, is it tells you what's going on inside and it brings it outside, and it shows you what's going on inside is what's going on outside. So, when we look at the story of Pouhim, we look at the story of Pouhim, you know, there are, uh, generally speaking, you know, people drink alcohol for many, many reasons, um, but there's two ends of the spectrum. Number one, it could be because they lost something. They're going through a divorce. They're separated. They're you know they're losing a spouse or something really bad that's happened. They lost their business. Something is really bad, so they turn to the bottle, and the bottle usually comforts them. Then you have on the other end of the spectrum, they close, just close a crazy deal. They're so crazy successful, let's celebrate. Come on, guys, bottles on me. And you go out and you celebrate. So there's two. When you think about it, it's a two. It's a two complete opposite. Either the worst thing happens to you, go to alcohol. The best thing happens to you, go to alcohol. So it's a two two wide ends of the of the spectrum. Those two wide ends of the spectrum happen in the story of Polim. Happen in the story of Polim, because you have on one, at one point right in the beginning of the story of Polim, Akash the king, he wanted to go and uh he he made a whole party. What was the party? The party was that basically the Jews are done. They're never gonna go into power again. Let's make this party. And the Jews came to this party and they were drinking and everybody was drinking, everyone was 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 doing what they was, what they were, shouldn't have been doing, but they were doing it out of like desperation. That's it, we're done. It's a lost cause. We lost already. Then, you have the party at the end of the story of Purim, which is everything turned around. The, the Jews came out on top. The Jews won. The Jews were successful. So, they drink out of the happiness. So, you have two. In the beginning of the story of Purim, people were drinking out of sadness, out of depression, out of, out of loss. This is a lost cause. At the end of the story of Purim, people are drinking now all of a sudden for the happiness. So, you have here the two reasons why people actually drink is in the story of Purim. Which is also a little bit of a hint of why we start with specifically on Purim where we're drinking. We're going to go through many, many more reasons. Um, but if you think about the story of Purim, it's you think about it, it's something that it's, it's, it's you know, uh, let me explain it to you like this. The, the, this is the first time the Jews went into exile. In their history, so they went. They they got the. They were redeemed as as a nation from Egypt. Then they went through the desert, and then finally went to ter- into Israel. They were in the Islam, They had the temple. It was the first Beit Everything was going amazing. Top of the world. Really top of the world. Then comes the Bukhanetzal, destroys it. The first exile. They get out of their of their exile, but they get a prophet from you know, Jeremiah. Tells them a prophecy. and says, "Don't worry about it, guys. Seventy years. We're going. We're coming back." So they make a calculation, they count the 70 years, but guess what? They were wrong in the calculation. And they, but they thought they were right. And they were like, "Listen, 70 years passed. Where's God? God didn't take us out." And that so this is why Achashvosh made the party. Achashvosh made the party because he said, "The 70 years are up. The Jews are not going back anymore. The Jews are not going to take over my kingdom. Then it's not going to be split in half." And hence, I'm going to go celebrate. And he took a big Nah, they t- he took things out of the of the party. So Think of it from the Jewish perspective. You're sitting in there. This is the first exile you have ever experienced. And you're sitting out over there. And all of a sudden, you're like, you know, you were supposed to be redeemed. You're not redeemed anymore. And then, on top of that all, comes a decree. Haman. Haman Arasha, He comes in and he says, uh, we're going to destroy all the Jews. You know why? Because they're different. They don't want to assimilate with us. They, they mutilate their body with circumcision. They do crazy stuff. And we're going to kill. So we are getting prosecuted now because we're different. So we lost, we lost our land. We think... You know, where's God? God has forsaken us. God has abandoned us in, in a certain sense. And now we're getting prosecuted in this world. So what many people will think, be like, all right, you can't beat them. Join him. What well, If God, you know, forsake us, abandoned us, we'll abandon him. Let us go. And this is unfortunately how many people thought about it after the Holocaust. They left the Holocaust and said, listen, God left me. I'm going to leave him. It's so a wrong uh, perception. You know, we can't judge them, but I'm saying it's a wrong idea. But this is what they thought about also. They could have thought about this in the time of the Purim. God is gone. Let us go. Let us assimilate. We'll save our lives. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. They actually stuck strong to God. They stuck. St- not only did they stuck strong to God, is that they increased their observance. They went. They did tshuva. They did the repentance, and they came full on force back to God. So you see that that the, the level of of uh, of a uh, such an amazing test that they were able to pass in the story of Puleim. It's really a cause of celebration. This is a, and, and in fact in the story of Puleim it says that we accepted the Torah like never before. Before, when we accepted the Torah on Sinai, when God gave us the Torah, it wasn't like we had a choice. We we're, like, literally enslaved people. We're, like, bound in chains. And then comes, like, a, a miracle worker. And we're, like, all right, listen, I'll get you out of here. Um, we're going to go to freedom. You're going to be free. But you got to accept the Torah. Like, all right, well, you know, whatever, whatever, dude, you know, whatever, whatever it's got to do to get out of here, you know, let's do it. And then so you get out there, we get the Torah. Above that, God puts a mountain over our head and be like, you better accept the Torah. But we're taking the Torah. So we're sort of like got a like a little bit of a twisted hand to push into it. But come to the story of Fulim, we came and we took, we accepted the Torah willingly, not because we were forced. And the opposite, we had a reason to run. We had a reason to leave everything all behind and go. But we didn't. We turned around and we said, no, 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 we're sticking here. We're Jews and we're proud to be Jewish. And we're going to stay strong to God. Even though that it's, 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 uh, it's going to um, breach in our survival. Now, I, I want to begin speaking about what is the purpose of drinking. You think about drinking. So we spoke about many ideas that you, when you drink, you know, you make yourself happy. So one of the reasons is, on Purim, you're supposed to be happy, so, you're supposed to, so, so we drink a little bit extra. But I heard this amazing, 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 um, amazing uh, idea on why we actually drink on Purim. And it says, we think that we drink to make ourselves happy. It's not the reason why we drink on Purim. We drink on Purim. To make somebody else happy, to make the other person happy, and I'll explain this to you with a with a story. Stories like this. There was once a woman. Is a true story that happened in Israel. There was once a woman. There was once a woman who was um, um, she was eight weeks pregnant. And um, she didn't have a good success rate in her pregnancies. She had already two miscarriages, so she was eight weeks pregnant. And then you know she started a, she started noticing blood, which is never a good sign, especially not in the beginning of a pregnancy. So she's going all stressed out. She's like, "Oh come on, not again!" You know, it's it's such a hard thing for a woman, uh, also a parent to go through, but it's such a hard thing for the woman itself to go through. And she's like, "You gotta, be, I can't, I can't go through this again." And she starts seeing blood. So she goes to, they, they, you know, it was like the middle of the night, she calls up, she had, she had two kids, she calls up a babysitter, please come over, and she went, and her husband went to the hospital. So they go into the hospital, and the, the nurse over there is taking all the information, what, you know, how far in are you, all the questions, height, weight, all the, all the regular, uh, stuff. And then they said, okay fine, let's go, let's open up, uh, you know, the, the ultrasound and look inside and see what we see. So... The technician over there is taking the ultrasound, they put the gel on the, on the, you know, and they start moving it around. And they see the technician moving from one side and going to the other side, then going down, and then going all around. It's sort of like, and the, the mother over there, the, the soon-to-be mother is like looking at this, the, this technician and she sees that her eyes are like straining. She's like really, she's like trying to find something or she, see, either she can't find something or she sees something that shouldn't be there. So now the mother starts getting nervous and she's like she's like, Is is everything okay? She's like, is the baby okay? And so the technician's like, Listen, um, you know, to be honest, I you know, our machines are really old and outdated, you know. I, I see the pregnancy sac, so you have you have something in there, but I, I I don't see the baby, but it does you know, we have old dated machines. What I would suggest is tomorrow go to your doctor, you have some much more advanced machines and you know, and go and get your uh the ultrasound over there. So you know um, this this uh this woman already felt like that's it you know it's you know it's done i've been through this road before but what she could do you know there's nothing that she could she could do they they send it to the doctor so the next day she made an appointment for her the doctor so the doctor goes she goes into the doctor's office and they put on the the gel again they go through the ultrasound and again the doctor's moving it from place to place and he's like he's like listen I, you know there's no, there's no baby in here And, and he's like, he's like, if you want, we could try again in a week and we could see, you know, if there's anything else. And she's like, is there going to be a, you know, is that going to be a difference? She's like, I'm not the type of person that wants to push it off. If it's not there, you know, let me mourn, let me get over with it and let's move on with life. Um, so... He said, to be honest, I don't think it's going to make any difference. If it's not there, it's not there. Um, but uh, if you want, you know, you can go to the hospital and take care of it now. They need to do a DNC. They clear out the contents of the stomach. So she goes and she says, fine. You know, she so she gets a, she gets a prescription from the doctor that she should go get the DNC. She goes and gets the um, the baby, the whatever, whatever is remaining inside her, her stomach to get it out. So as the doctor is writing it, he's like, you know, but you're not going to be able to go within the next few days. She's like, why not? He's like, it's because of the holiday. And she just realized, she completely forgot, the holiday of Pulim was actually right, was, was, was the next day. And that, you know, it was in Israel's religious hospital. So they're all now, you know, they're very low on staff and very, so she's like, oh my God, I didn't even think. She's like, it's like, I can't believe I completely, with all this going on. And she's like, she's like, no, 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 you're right. It's like, I'm not even going to try because I'm having, you know, she, she was planning on having 30 girls from her seminary where she teaches over in her house for a Purim, like a party and uh, things like that. And even though she could have gone in, and she she was actually contemplating. She says, "Listen, I don't have a head now. I have a party after all this. I, you know, I can't." She was actually thinking, "You know what? Let me go get this done with, get, get it on, and move on with life." And uh, but if she would do that, if she would have gone to the hospital, she would not have been able to throw the 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 party. She would actually still be in the hospital over pulling And then she thought about it a little bit more. And she says, "Listen, you know, there's a lot of girls that are they're away for home for the year. They go through hard. You know, they go through like different hardships and different things. And you know, this is one of the parties that actually lifts up the spirit." And she felt a little bad. She says, "You know what? I'll make. Little, you know, let's go on with the party." And I'll go, I'll go after, after pulim. I'll go to the, um, I'll go to the, I'll go to the hospital I'm taking care of. So she goes and didn't tell anybody, only, only her and her husband know. And she started preparing for the party. As they're getting closer to pulim, the husband, you know, every year they go and they dress up. So, so they asked, uh, they asked, uh, um, the, um, he asked his wife and he says, are we, you know, are you getting dressed up this year? And she says, I am dressed up already. He says my face, my smile, that's my dress up. Because inside, I'm broken inside. But outside, I'm going to show that my costume is going to be my, my outside. My joy is my costume. So somehow she went and she made the party. And it was great. It was a great party. And during the party, you know, you had all the girls come over. And they have the greatest, biggest drama. You know, like, my friend, you didn't know, let me sleep in her room. And then I got pushed out over here. And, you know, like, literally, you know, like, the biggest problems in life. And she's sitting over there. And she's in her mind, she's like, you've got to be kidding me. She says, I've got to listen to this right now. What I'm going through with this problem. But you know what? She held it back. And she said, you know what? You're going through an issue. She put on a smile. She listened to her all the all the all the students' issues, and she tried to make them feel better, and she tried to get you know give them support and chizuk, and she did it. She made a lot of them feel better, and she felt a little bit better herself. And uh, uh, the, the 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 party went out great and went without a hitch, and uh, pulim was over. And she's thinking, you know, Pouim is over, my pregnancy is over. Then she starts thinking, you know, maybe there was a miracle of Pouim, maybe I'll have a miracle somehow with the pregnancy. But then she's like, you know what, I'm going to push all these nonsense in my mind. I know it's done, it's done, let's, let's get this over. So she decides that the next day, She's going to go and she's going to call uh, to make an appointment in the hospital. She calls up the next day to make the appointment. And then she, before she calls, she's like, wait a minute. She's like, the only time that they'll give her an appointment will be Thursday. It was like Wednesday, already, So it will be the next day after that, which is Thursday. Which means if she goes in Thursday, she's going to be in Shabbat over in the hospital. And she's like, you know what? I really don't want to be in Shabbat in the hospital. You know, I'll wait till Sunday. Sunday I'll call them. I'll make the appointment. I'll take care of it then. So she's going in and uh, come Saturday night. She's she's arranging, uh, babysitters for her, for her kids for the next day, so she go, for the next two days, so she go to the hospital, and, uh, suddenly she hears sirens from, like, all directions flying past by her. And, you know, as a resident living in Israel for a long time, she knew there was only one reason that happened, because there was some sort of terrorist attack or something going on. So she turns on the radio, and lo and behold, there was a terrorist that detonated that detonated himself uh, about ten minutes away from her from her house in an area of uh, Jerusalem called Beth Israel. So um, there was actually a group of women sitting there with baby carriages in the area that that he detonated himself, and uh, they killed um, six children were killed and four mothers were killed, and about fifty other women and children were were uh, hurt in this attack. And um, you know everybody, you know it was like a, it was like a crazy situation. And and she's thinking she's like, listen, I'm not going to make an appointment tomorrow to go to the hospital, they need all hands on, on deck for this uh, for this situation, and she's like, you know what, I'm going to wait another week give them a week, let them, whoever's, you know they, they, need, they need whatever help they can get so, she goes and she waits a whole week, and then she calls up the next week, she calls up Santé She's like, listen, I want to make an appointment. I need to come in for um, for a DNC. And, you know, she gives them the whole situation. They're like, no problem. Send over the prescription and we'll take care of it. So they send over the prescription. She gets a call back shortly after. She's like, listen, um, this prescription already, ex- for, for these types of things, you need a prescription very close to, to when you're doing it. This is already expired. It's too late. you got to go back to your doctor, get a new prescription, and then come back here. She says, fine, what can I do? So she goes back to the doctor the next day. And, uh, the doc, she's sitting by the doctor, and the, the you know, the doctor sees her, she, so you know, she explains the situation, she wasn't able to do it, it's there. And she's sitting in the doctor's office, and she's looking at the ultrasound machine, you know, with like longing eyes. And then she's like thinking, she's like, she goes to the doctor, she's like, is it, you know, is it okay if we just, just look one more time, just for old time's sake, you know. Let, let's just take one more look. And the doctor said, listen, it's not gonna make any difference. He says, you know, we checked twice. We did two ultrasounds. We took your blood works. The home, the blood work. The hormone levels are too low. Um, you know, and it's, it's really not gonna make a difference. And at this point in time, she was trying to hold it strong for like two weeks. You know, so everything is bottled up. Everything just came, water works just came right out. She started boiling like a baby. And she was like, this is not like, no, not like, not like her. And the doctor's like, oh, okay, okay. would you feel better if you, we do an ultrasound? And she's like, you know, sniffing, couldn't even say words. And she's like, yeah. It's like, not a problem, not a problem, you know, relaxing her. sit down. We'll take, we'll, we'll do your ultrasound. So she sits down and the doctor puts on the gel and starts moving it around. And he starts moving it out. He gets to one spot and he, the, 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 the piece almost falls off. He goes back on and he, and he puts it on. And, and and she's looking at this. She's looking at the monitor. He's looking at the monitor. And she's like, is that what I, what I think it is? And the doctor, like wide eyed, he's like, he's like, yeah. And he moves on a little bit more to the left, and you start to hear the the the, the heartbeat. And and he's like, he's like, and he's and he's looking all around the stomach, and then he says, how how long, how far in are you? And she's like, about now should be about ten weeks, a little bit over ten weeks. And he starts moving it around, and um, or is it eight weeks? And he's like, he says, he says, you're you're not eight weeks. And he starts measuring the baby. he Says you're six weeks. And the biggest miracle was is that the only the, the first time that you're able actually to see the baby and to hear the baby was exactly that amount of days since the beginning till where she where, where she came in, which means is has she come in a day before or two days before or a week before they would have still seen nothing. They would have seen nothing because she miscalculated it. It was really a, she was a few weeks off, and the only time they were able to see it is because she came. Now, why was it all pushed off? You know why it was pushed off? Because she constantly, not once but twice, she was caring for other people and she didn't want to do for other people. So she said, "You know what? I'm going to hold away. I'm going to make a poem so that I'm going to make a part meal. Other people need me." And then came the, another another attack, and she says, "You know what?" They need it more than I do right now. They need all hands on deck. She was willing to forego her own need for somebody else. Guess what? She was more successful at the end. And this is the one of the secrets of poem. You know why we drink on Poyim? We drink up not to bring our happiness out. But to help other people's happiness. We get nicer, we become nicer. Generally, generally speaking, if you're a nice person inside, you become even nicer person when you drink. If you're a bad person, you become a worse person when you drink. But, we're, you know, as Jews, generally we're hoping that we're all nice people. So you drink, you become better. What happens when you become better? You become better for other people. You'll be able to make somebody else happy. And I don't have to tell it to you, but there's so many people going through issues nowadays. And I shouldn't say so many. Everybody's going through an issue. You're sitting there. This poem, one of your main focuses should be is not on yourself. Not keep on chugging the alcohol just to get yourself the buzz that you want to get. The main focus you should be is you should go and try to make somebody else feel better. Just one person. Everybody, you don't know how many troubles people are going in, whether it's money, whether it's whether it's a you know finding a marriage partner finding getting kids or having a marriage partner, it's not working well. There's so many issues that people are going through in this day and age, and it's a it's a day that we have to be happy, that we're trying to be happy. So what happens is if we hold our happiness for one second and help somebody else become I'm happy. We will at the end be much more happier at the end of the day, and we'll see much more success yeah, in that. Yeah. Legal, like, years ago? Illegal in America. Yeah. Back then, if, if it was if it was illegal, then the, you're not allowed to. The, there was there's a rule. Yeah. You, you got to follow land. laws of the land. But nowadays, it's not legal. So it's it's. To drink? Oh, this is way before alcohol was only illegal for a certain for a certain amount of time. It wasn't always illegal. Yeah. Otherwise, beforehand, and besides, it was only America. I think it wasn't the whole. Yeah. Oh, we get that, maybe we'll get that then. It's a completely different uh, idea. Okay. So one reason. So now we have over here. One reason why we drink on why we drink on on pulim is not for us, not for our happiness, but for somebody else's happiness. To get that other person just a little bit more happier. There is a there is a very very interesting gemara in Masechet Megillah, the uh, seventh page, seven b and this is one of the things I want to be. I want to focus on, and I'll tra- I'll say it in in, um, in Aramaic, and then we'll translate it. <laughs> a person has to drink until he doesn't know Ben Aul Haman between curses Haman levauch Mordechai Mordechai, which means is you drink so much that you're not going to know should I bless Mordechai, should I curse Mordechai, should I bless Haman or should I curse Haman? That's how much you're supposed to drink. That's a crazy amount of drink. That's a that's a, you're talking about like a whole other level of drinking. And to understand this thing, we have to we have to come with a very very obvious questions. Let's say I present you the best alcohol as much as you could have, and I will keep on pouring you, you know, whatever it is that you like. You know, sixty year old single malt scotch. You just get as much as you want with the best meats, and you just keep on drinking it. Will it ever come a time where you'll be like, I bless Hitler? Is that ever going to happen? So how do you tell me that, how does the Gemara say, we drink so much that we want to curse Mordechai, the biggest tzaddik, and bless, you know, want to bless uh, uh, Haman, the biggest rasha. It's imagine drinking so much that you want to say, I want to curse Chacham and I want to bless Hitler. Can you imagine that that scenario? So it, it, the, the, the amount of alcohol is not going to change. A person is never going to change that amount. Of, no one's going to want to do that. No one's going to want to to curse the biggest tzaddik and bless the biggest rasha. So, the Rambam says, you know, there's, um, you know, when you, you could come to a logical assumption, a logical conclusion is a better term, that there is a God. You know, if you just a little, if you just look a little bit outside the body, forget it, not even outside the box. you just look, you open your eyes in the world. You see how the world is situated. It's, you it, know, look at, the, look at the, you know, just, just look at a tree. And you can look at a tree, you can already see, okay, there is a God. And if that doesn't happen, so you keep on expanding, you look at a person, you look at an animal, you look at, if that doesn't work, just look at the world. You know where the earth is? The only way for the earth to exist, the way it exists, it's only if it's where it is right now. If it's like a few miles or whatever the the distance is to the, you know, closer to the sun or further sun, we would cease to exist. And the universe is huge. It's a huge universe. So the only place that we could exist is the place that we actually are. And if it would move a little bit this way, a little bit that way, we would cease to exist. The whole ecosystem. Just think about the eco. The whole. If you have to be an idiot to think that there's it's atheist, it just happened from nothing. It's so mathematically it, It's like that math. If you do do the mathematics of it, it's so unlikely. The the number of how many of, you know how how you know if you take the number of how, what's the possibility of it happening by mistake, by accident, with a big bang. It's it's like it, it's 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 insignificant. It's so tiny. You can't. It's it's not even there. It's not a number. It's not a real thing. So if you open your eyes and you're looking through the world, you will you will come to the conclusion that God exists. That's how Avraham Avinu came to the conclusion. So you have this this idea that you could come to a logical concu- conclusion through your intellect. However, there is an, a higher. It says in the Raman, There's a higher level of of thing. There's a higher level, and the height of understanding is to not know. Which means is is that you come to a level, you could come to a level and be like, you know what, I realize the more you know, the more you realize you really don't know. And that is the height of understanding. So this is really a wise person. A wise person is not going to be like, I know everything. You to a little kid, right? Little kids know everything. You know, I, I want to teach you the ABCs. I know everything already. Alright, I'll teach you how to read. I know how to read everything already. I mean like they learn how to read the and end and whatever a few other little three letter words, but they think they know the whole world. And why? Because their the amount of knowledge that they have is very minimal. So they think they know everything, because they think they know everything that they have. But the more that you learn and the more that you the more that you study, the less that you realize that you actually know. So what we do and we drink on pulling, we're drinking on Poem to realize we keep on drinking. You know when we drink? We drink to realize that we don't know. We drink. We think we know. We think we know the answers. We think, you know, we see in life that there is, there is, uh, there comes a time. You see Haman, and you see a, someone who's very wicked, and he's very successful. You see a big tzaddik, and he's very unsuccessful. He has a hard, a hard life. And we think we know all the answers. Be like, oh, where's God? We drink to the level that we realize that we don't know. It goes beyond it. We go to a level that we don't know. And this is the whole story of Purim. The whole story of Purim is a story of like everything looks like it was going great. I'm sorry, everything looks like it was going bad completely opposite. Everything looks like it was going bad. The whole show is going bad. And you're like, what is God doing? Only at the end did everything switch around and turn out for the best. The same thing that we do when we realize, realize I'm pulling, we're drinking to realize that even though we see everything looks bad that it's happening in our lives or somebody else's life, but we really don't know the full picture. And the full picture is really for the best. So we drink to that level that we understand that we don't know. And to understand this uh, this idea a little bit more, the, I, I heard this interesting explanation uh, regarding a Shatchan. A Shatchan is like a marriage, think of it as like a marriage broker, I guess. I don't know. Uh, the guy, who matchmaker. Right? So you go there's there's a bunch of guys and a bunch of girls that go to one person and they say I want this type of guy and she says I want this uh, you, you know he uh, he says I want this type of girl uh, with these qualities and these things yada 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 and the matchmaker plays matchmaking and he tries to connect the you know connect the dots to find the the soulmates what happens if you know, they you know, they come mad and they say, Listen, it was uh it was nice, he's nice but I don't know if he's so much for me. So the matchmaker says, Listen, what was the problem? And she says, you know, you X, Y, and Z and he says, Listen, you know, I heard very good things about him. Maybe give him another shot. They're like, I don't know, and they talk back and forth, and they're fine, they convince they go out another shot. They go out another date and it it turns out pretty good. You know, so they go out a third date, a fourth date, and it gets it gets much better. So much so that they finally they get engaged. Who's the happiest person? Besides the couple of themselves in the immediate family. The Shatchan. Yeah, so come on, I, I made this. This is, this is my, my handiwork. Come on. And... Uh, depends what type of people there. <laughs> but... Uh, um, no, I've never heard that That actually. I think. Okay. Uh, the, there is... So comes the wedding. Comes the wedding. The Shatchan is sitting there at the wedding. He is the happiest. He's the happiest guy over there sitting at the wedding. But after the Chupa, the Chatan and Kala go over to him and says, listen... We appreciate everything that you did. You are great. But we hope never to use you again. Which which makes sense. The matchmaker, think of it as the intellect. The intellect, we came to God's understanding through our intellect. We learned Torah. Comes Purim, and we go, we're like, we're beyond the intellect now. We have a connection with God that we don't need you. We tell the Shabchan, we don't need you. Our connection is strong enough. We don't need you to help us to stay together. We're married together. We're good. Comes Purim, and we tell our intellect, take a day off. To a certain extent, obviously. We say, take a day off. We got this. We don't need to understand God through the way of understanding him. We under- we're going to go as our God through our heart, through our love. We're just going to be so connected that we don't need the whole intellectual uh, process of proving God and this and that. There was, uh, um, you know, and, and if you live your life this way where where you don't, you know, y- there's uh, things that happen in your life and you're like, why is it happening? And only at the end will you realize the full picture. It's really great. And if you're able to live the life that everything is always great, your life is going to be just such a happy life. It's going to be like, no matter bad or good happens. And I tell this, everybody tells me this at the same time. Somebody who's really become religious. I was speaking to a, to a woman last night who was becoming more religious. And for, uh, what? No, 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 different, uh, local. And, uh, and, and she says, um, and I was asking her, you know, so, you know, now that you've been religious for, for quite some time, you know, the, the, and I, one of the main things that I ask is, where's, like, your happiness level? And she's like, uh, every single person, the one that really becomes religious, always have the same answers. Oh, you gotta be, it's like, all, all without a doubt, like, I become less angry. Everybody that tells me the same, I become less angry. And, and then they explain to me, like, listen, cause let's say someone, and I'll give you the example that she gave me last night. Someone cuts me off right? But I'll be like, okay, whatever, there's a reason for it. And when you start living your life that there's reasons for it, even though that person was literally somebody who maybe is a Meshuganah, maybe he's a crazy guy and they cut you off because he's an idiot, it's very possible, but God orchestrated everything. When you live your life that you realize that God orchestrates everything, you don't sweat the small stuff. You're not going to be bothered. Your blood pressure is going to be relaxed. Have you ever driven in Park? I have. I have. (laughs) So, but try try driving it when you keep Shabbat and you keep coaching and you keep all those things, a completely different drive. Is, huh? so you're more relaxed you're like okay whatever you know you're, chilled. you're more chilled out you realize there's a bigger plan there's a bigger purpose you don't control your life there was once this amazing story there was once a guy who um, he was his name was Jeremy a true story and uh, it was uh, like in the early 1950s and um, he lived in America and he decided you know after the Holocaust he wanted to move to Israel so he moves to Israel, and after the Holocaust, a bunch of people from Israel moved also to, I'm sorry, a bunch of people from, from, the, from Germany or from whatever, where they, they were through the Holocaust, they also moved to Israel. And there were many places called, like, kibbutzim, where, you know, the, the places where, you know, they, they would work and they would live. So, um, this journey ended up, like, up north in some kibbutz. And he was, you know, he made some friends over there. There were also Holocaust survivors. And uh one day it was a hot summer day and they're all working out in the field. So the Holocaust survivors usually don't like to you know, they usually cover their number you know, they all have tattooed numbers on their from the Holocaust. They the, the Germans were very meticulous with numbers and they basically gave them they were like a barcode. So there was a number on them. So they usually kept it covered, but it was very hot. So you know, one of his close friends, I believe it's Yehuda if it was, if I'm not mistaken, he rolled up his sleeve. And uh this is the first time that Jeremy sees his friend's number. And he looks at his friend's number and then he steers at it for like literally two minutes, and he's like, you know, trying to get a better look at it. And and the guy sees him looking at the number, I'd be like, well, you never seen the numbers before? Like we all have it over here. And he's like, and was like no, 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 no. So it's like he's like, what's what's your number? So he's like, you know, four seven one six. And he's like, that's your number. And he's like, what? It's just a number, dude. Like relax. And he's like, he's like, no, you, you don't. He's like, that's my last four of my social because he was he was American. And the guy So the guy was You know The guy was not religious He's like Oh whatever You know Coincidence Well you know a Big deal And Jeremy's like He's like No come on There's no, no coincidence Out of all the people My good friend Is the one Who has the same numbers As my social but come on dude It's gotta be more than that And the guy's like Ah you know What are you crazy It's all whatever It's nothing It's all coincidence So fine You know they work they get, They're get. They close for like a few years And then they split They They, they move their own ways and um, you know he uh, this Jeremy ends up becoming a um, a tour guide because he knew English. He was from America, so he had all these American businessmen that come to or with their families. They come to Israel. They wanted to see around a little bit. So he you know he bought him a limousine and he went and he took all these people around and he you know that was his uh, his business. And you know he had some good customers. He had some bad customers, annoying. You know like the regular the the run of the mill. And uh, you know one and he generally he liked his job. One day he gets he, someone walks into his car. And, you know, he picks him up from the airport. He's going to do the whole tour with him for a few days. And this guy is just barking orders nonstop, like the most disgusting, angriest person he's ever met. And the guy's like, well, his customer, his customer, he's like nonstop. He's like, go over here, do this, stop doing this, stop driving this. Like literally barking orders and driving this guy crazy. But... You know, it's business, business, you may put a smile, be like, whatever the customer wants, the customer gets, and, you know, you try, it. and inside, you know, the blood pressure is like, you know, going higher and higher, and uh, finally, he's driving, he's like, he's getting out of his mind, the customer in the back says, he says, you know, driver, pull over right now, and the guy's like, this is the end of the day, you know, he pulls over, he turns around, he says, what, and so the customer says, listen, he says, uh, um, you know, I know that, you know, I I turn out to be a hard guy sometimes and I I cause a little bit of problems. I just want you to know that, you know, I don't I became like this. I wasn't I was really, you know, I was really a really nice guy. And I want to apologize, you know, for for everything that I did. I know I'm sometimes a hard person to deal with. I just want to, you know, like, you know, I'm personally I'm a Holocaust survivor, you know, and I went through the Holocaust and it's very hard for me. And I lost my entire family over there. I'm the only one that survived and I took it really hard and, and I'm sorry sometimes it comes out in anger. And he rolls up his sleeve to show, you know, the, you know, like, to prove him basically that he's a Holocaust number. Holocaust survivor. The so, the, no, 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 the guy in the back. The guy, the customer. So, um, he opens up, he opens up his, his sleeve and he sees over there, you know, 4717. And he stares at the number. And he's like, he's like, uh-uh, you're not alone, buddy. The guy says, what are you talking about? He you don't even know my name. And like, I, I know where your brother lives be like, you're crazy, crazy up here in Israel. He's like, what are you talking about? He says, and, and he says, he doesn't even say a word. He just like floors it and he drives like across the country to where his good friend, Yehuda, lives. And, and he goes over there. And he says, and he goes over he, he stops opening the door, he goes, he says, come out, he like pulls him out, he goes over to the front, and he starts ringing the bell, and he stands over there, and he just watches it. You know, the guy opens the door, and the, the, you, if you can just imagine the thing, they just stare at each other. They both thought that they were the last ones, that, the only ones that survived. Because they all both went, they checked the list, they were not on the list. For some reason, they, they missed it. They went, and they gave them such a hug, such an embrace, and such a crying, so they went over to the guy, be like, how did you know? How did you know? says, the only reason I knew, and the only reason I remembered, it's because me and your brother had the same, I have, my last four of the social was his last of the, you know, of, of his numbers on the, on the arm. Coincidence? I don't think so. There's no such thing as coincidence. God works the whole world, it manipulates the whole world to go in a certain way and to make things that happen a certain way. When we think that things just happen, this guy Jeremy thought, okay, well, you know, maybe it was a coincidence. Only did he realize that five years later it was going to be the biggest reunion that he could ever have between two lost brothers that each thought that the other one was dead. So we see over here that everything happens for a purpose. This is what says Hashal says. He uh, explains like this He says You know what we drink that we, um, that we bless Haman Or curse Haman It doesn't make a difference Everything is from God Who, Like let's say someone goes And someone steals from you God forbid right Someone takes money from you So you get really upset About that person But was it really that person That really stole from you Granted yes They did steal But it was all orchestrated From God above God said okay You're going to lose Certain amount of money He's going to be a messenger Granted, he gets punished for being a messenger, but he's a messenger nonetheless. It was all orchestrated from up above. So you think, okay, well, I'm gonna get upset about him, I'm gonna get this, i get that. It doesn't matter. It's not about you, it's not about him, it's all from God. We drink, you know what we drink and I'll get in a second. We drink, right? We drink until we want to bless Haman, curse Haman, bless Mordechai, curse Mordechai. You know why we drink to that level? To realize that it's not Haman, it's not Mordechai, it's not blessed with that, it's nobody other than God. And that's why we drink so much on Purim We drink so much on Purim until we get out of our normal physical world where we think that we control everything, to realize that God controls everything. And God is the one who is in, in actual focus and control of everything. Uh, so remember how you were saying: so uh, the guy who drinks a lot goes home, beats up his wife. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily mean that he might be a bad man too. So you just don't know what he's going through. Maybe. Going yeah, yeah, I'm not same judging same the person. Concept, right? Yeah, but but generally speaking, when a person, what? Yeah, you are. No, no, you're right. Uh, um, no, no, you're right. Because when a person, when a person is when a person is drinking, even though they might be going through something, but that's how you can tell what they are inside. It'll still come out. And we're not judging anybody, and not. But but the the reason is is that it, whatever is going inside usually comes out. The um the you know so when we and the, and if you look at the story of Puleim, it shows beautifully this idea. So you look at the story of Puleim. The first party that Achashverosh threw, the Jews. You know why they were drinking at that party? They gave up in life. That's it. We're nothing to do with. There's nothing. You know. And in fact, they, they, you know, the decree was sealed because of what they thought they gave up. Which means is if you understand that idea, you know why we got punished in the story of Purim? Because we drank in the party of Varosh. That's why we got punished. So now when you look at the story, you look how the story continues. So we thought, you know what we have to do? He's making a party now, Ahasuerus. So political correctness would be that we have to go to the party. You know, Obama's making a party. Well, not Obama anymore. Trump is making a party, making it. But let's say it would be non-kosher everything, non-kosher this, and it's just a non-kosher environment. We'd be like, we have to go. We represent the Jewish people, even though you're not allowed to go. But so say we have to go. So we thought that what? It's in our control. It's in our hands. We have the political. The our our uh, you know the level of our politics. The way that it's going to go is in our hands. So we have to do what we have to do. So they didn't think about it that God is controlling everything, but rather we are controlling everything. And when did they when did they realize and they turned to God? They realized and they turned to God only when they realized that there was no other option. That Haman would decree that all Jews should die. And there was there was a decree basically of an extermination of the entire Jewish people. And they finally were pushed into a corner realizing there's no other way to turn. We have nowhere else to turn, only into our Father in Heaven. When we realize that there is nobody else other than God, that's when the salvation comes. And that, you know when it came? It came not when we thought we were able to do something. It came when we thought we got, we don't got, we don't got nothing. We don't got any playing cards to play. We're done. And then when we're done, when you got a neck on your thing, right, no atheist in a foxhole, all, all of a sudden you start praying to God. And guess what? It worked. Cause we, that was the purpose of it all. To come and return to God. And this is the same idea that replays itself over and over again. You now think about it in our finances. You know, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, everything was going great, 90s more, everything was going amazing, you know, the stock market was booming, everyone was making money, real estate was going crazy, and everyone's like, okay, we trust in our finances, right, And God we trust, literally on the dollar, and God we trust, we literally trust it in, in the dollar, so, the, you know, we go into, we, we're going into our finances, and then what does God do? The crash. That, you know, comes, comes. you know, a few years later, the stock, the stock, besides the stock market crash, you have the real estate bubble burst and you have everything just come crashing down. But the second that we start feeling it's secure about something and we don't realize that it's all God, comes a crash. Comes America. We're like, we live in America. We don't have to worry about terrorist attacks. We don't have to worry about anything. Here we're safe. Comes September 11th. Right? The biggest terror attack in the history of America comes when we thought we're the most, we're, we're the most safest. Uh, this is the idea. We drink until we don't know. We realize, God, you know. We don't know. And that's what we're drinking. We're drinking to get out of, out of the, that, that level that we think that we know to a level um, that we don't know. Now, there is um, an idea also that when you drink, one of the purpose of drinking is that you should be able to thank God. But if you get so plastered that you're throwing up and you're doing this, some things that you, you know, whatever it is, how can you thank God on that level? All, you, all you're doing when you're in that level is you're praying to the porcelain god, a.k.a. the toilet. You know, sitting there in front of the toilet, hugging the toilet. Oh, God. Oh, God. You know, like you're sitting over there praying to the thing and then you're, you're, you're you know, you're worshipping the god of the, you know, you know. Giving uh, you know your insights to the God, okay. But anyways, so let us. Um, I want I want to get to the idea, the actual halacha concept. You know, should we drink? How much should we drink? What should we drink? And then, if we have time, maybe we'll add some more reasons of why we drink until we don't know the difference. So there is um, the, the, the the there is the Rambam, Maimonides. He says as follows: he says we have the the, the obligation. In the in the in the feast, in the Purim meal, the Purim Suda, the Purim party, as some people call it, is to eat eat meat and drink wine until you're you're drunk that you fall asleep from your drunkenness. Says the going and give you some uh, some uh, um, things. So he says, no, no, you, you don't have to drink that much. All you have to do is you have to drink, but you have to drink more than you regularly do. And one of the reasons that this party specifically, this holiday, I may say, is why specifically we drink is that the whole story of Purim happened with wine. Esther, Achashverosh, and uh, Vashti. All the stories that happen, and if you go through the Megillah, you realize that every party had wine. Every The downfall, the, the, the success. Everything had to do with wine. So too, we drink wine to commemorate that uh, that success. That, uh, that thing. There's some people that say, you know how much we drink? You have to drink, so we spoke about numerical value. The numerical value of... Uh, you know, the, 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 you don't know the difference between Arahaman and Baruch Mordechai in the numerical value, so you can't calculate it. Right? And it's, uh, it's both equals to... Uh, I shouldn't. maybe I shouldn't tell it to you. What? Calculate it when you're drunk. You figure it out. Don't do it yet. So... No, no, no calculate the difference between Arahaman and Baruch Mordechai, the difference in the, in the Gematria. How many, what? Uh-huh. How many bottles of wine? How do you get to that? Depends. Some people, they don't need any. Arahaman, yeah. So I'll tell you, I'll give you afterwards the whole thing. <laughs> Okay, so now, but what is the, the you know, and and uh, if you look at the and nowadays, there's actually there's there's a conflicting thing. Some some people say that yeah, you still have an obligation to drink and you still should drink, but you still should drink. By the way, let me make this very clear. According to like almost all the game, the main thing that a person should drink is wine because everything happened with wine. Some people will make tequilas drinks and this. It's not the mitzvah is with wine. There is a very very small percentage of, of posting that say that no, really you could drink everything else. Why? Because back in the day when they used to drink wine, the wine was a much higher level of alcohol content. It wasn't like we have now thirteen percent, ten percent, you know. It was a much higher level. So too, so you could say whiskey maybe is also okay. But the majority of people the real mitzvah is to drink with wine. You should if you're drinking, you should be drinking with wine. Obviously you're drinking responsibly and you're of age, that you should drink um, with uh with wine. And but uh, many people say many people say that it's enough. And the I mean, Rabbi Yehuda also brings it down. Uh, the pre Chadash also brings it down as well from the from the Rabeinu Prime. He says that all you need to do is drink a smaller amount than usual. Let's say you usually drink a cup of wine, you drink a cup and a half, two cups of wine, whatever it is, and then your yotzeh. That's uh, you know that's good enough. But I want to read to you the Shlach. the shloah Hakadosh. I'm gonna have to read this in Hebrew because it's so strong and so amazing, and uh, uh, and I'll translate it. And he goes like this. Says the Shla Hakadosh. Masechta Megillah. And it says. When you're drinking, you have to drink for the sake of heaven. So that you remember the nace, the miracle that happened in the drink of wine. Oh, listen to this. it is not like those people that drink. And only just to fill their stomachs, to fill their necks. They just drink because they like drinking. To make lightheadedness and to make, a, you know, to make a laughter. You make jokes and, and laughters. And then he goes over here. And then, if somebody's not gonna be careful, says the shlok, on, on washing your hands, you're not, you're gonna mess up somehow, you're not gonna daven, you're not gonna be able to do something, you're not allowed to go and drink. If you're not gonna be able to do all the mitzvot, you're not gonna be able to bench, you're not gonna be able to do the bahot, and you're gonna drink and it's gonna take you out of that, you're not allowed to drink. He says, you know, that people think, and I'm skipping over here, uh, what is it, People think like this, the more crazier that you get, the greater, the bigger mishubach that you are. It's not like that. This is the whole point it is. And he goes on, he speaks very strong. And he says, This is very, very bad. You know what we drink? Only for simchol. Not to be lightheadedness and, and, and jokey and like in, a, in, a, in a derogatory way. And he says over here that if somebody not going to be, you know, he's not going to be able to listen to the mikra, he's not going to be able to do any mitzvot. He says really, really strong things against that the, the thing. This is a really, really important concept that if somebody's going to drink, and because you're drinking, you're not going to be able to do the mitzvot. You're not going to be able to the maariv. You're not going to be able to bench. You're not going to be able to do some sort of something that you're supposed to be doing. Don't drink. Don't drink. You don't have a mitzvah to drink if you're gonna if it's going to come out on the expense of other mitzvot. Uh, what about woman? Should women drink? So generally, women should not drink, especially that's not uh, um, you know it's not it's, it's especially not to become intoxicated. If they want to drink a little bit more wine, let them go according to their amal, which is very simple. They drink just a little bit more than used used to and their and their yotze. But they should definitely not get drunk, especially not in public, right? could, the shavat brings it down. Okay, so the um the the mitzvah. This is very important. The mitzvah to drink is not at night. The mitzvah to drink is only in the day, only in the in the in the per meal. There are many people that get plastered at night. They get plastered at night. And they can't wake up for the, the Megillah, and the whole day they have a headache and hungover. and they they they're doing worse and worse because they're not doing a mitzvah. They're doing they're just they're just just an excuse to get drunk. It's just an excuse to to uh you know to drink more than than you can. And obviously you know I don't have to say that you know there's there's Hatzalah warnings that during this time of the year it's so it's such a chilul Hashem that go goes on. Jews, when we drink, we're supposed to be happy people, you know, fun people. If you will, even if you may, good people at the end of the day. But not, but not that we're going and we're getting, we're getting so so drunk that you have to go and get pumped out in the hospital. You know how many people lose their lives or almost lose their lives because Amparum. of uh, amparim? Yeah, amparim. Yeah, young kids should not be drinking. Yeah, young kids should not be drinking. They don't know the the thing. But you go look. There's stories of people that almost. I know somebody who died, who died not amparim, who died from al- alcohol over it. You know. Like what do you need that? You have no mitzvah to kill yourself. That's not a thing. And people have to learn. If you don't know when to stop, I know I know I know there are certain people that when they start drinking, they don't know how to stop. They don't know how to stop. Right them. No. Oh. They they um they don't know how to stop. They literally they just start going. And if you're that type of person, then either designate a you know a buddy for you who's gonna be more sober than you and be like you got to stop after X amounts of time, or don't drink, because it's not worth it, you're not allowed, you know, if you go over there, and you drink too much, and you get, you know, wasted, generally speaking, these people that are drinking to that level, I'm, not, I'm saying generally, it's not obviously a whole thing, they're not drinking for the right reasons, we're drinking to the le- reason like we spoke before, besides getting to that level, of that everything is only God, you're drinking to become happy, to thank God, and to and to, and to, and to, and to, you know, to really grow in your spirituality, not to just you know like the shlosh says, just to fill up your stomachs with wine and alcohol so you can party. Yeah, let's go so, let's have some so fun. What you do or say to your friends that you know that have that type of problem. Right? Say what well, you could say. Uh, it depends if they're going to listen or not. But you could try saying, "Listen, it says you're not doing a mitzvah. You're not. You're not, you're not doing some. Some. You never know. You never know. Some people. I have some friends that you know do that. Yeah. They, they... Control the they no, they can't, and that's a big problem for them. It's better not to drink, but they say, listen, hold it off. Like I'll give you an example. If I, I'll give you an example. When they're like, yeah, come on, more shots, you know. And meanwhile, they're they're I, when I was when I was uh, you know I was. I don't say how much I should say this but the uh, story but uh, um I have a very close friend uh, you know if he's listening to this he'll definitely know who I'm talking about him um, but uh you know back when I was in Israel so we were drinking at one point in time and um we were taking you know we were, you know there were, there were shots whatever it was it was a bunch of babaram you know having a you know some good time and it got so bad that my friend who was sitting right in front of me started foaming from his mouth Is that a what, foaming? foaming foaming from his mouth and he was he was. He got pulled out on a stretcher. Got went to the hospital. Got a stomach pump. You know, thank God he was alive still. But you have the, these people that they drink so much and they don't know. They don't know how to stop. For them, you know, they got to wake up. They got. You know, it's only going to be a certain amount of time when they're going to go too much. They're going to go. They're just going to go one, one, one step too much. Because again, you have an environment. Perm is an environment where everyone's drinking. Everyone's having a good time. And what happens if everyone's drinking? You drink also. You know you had too much. But then the guy's like one more one more cup. Maybe. Hey, I sh- okay, okay. You know, and you'll just take one more cup. And if you don't know, then you, you have to really, you know, you have to de- either designate somebody, but you gotta be really careful about these. Granted, yes, it is a mitzvah to do it, but if you're not gonna do it right, don't do it at all. Better not to do it all than mess it up. There's no, there's no mitzvah in getting yourself, you know, uh, and I'm talking about somebody who's gonna be able to do mitzvah afterwards. If it, if you're not able to do mitzvah afterwards, if you're gonna be so inebriated that you're not gonna be able to branch, you're not gonna be able to pray, you're not gonna be able to do anything, you're not gonna, your whole thing, then you don't, there's no mitzvah. Don't do it. Don't do it. There, I wanna finish off with one last, um, I, I wanted to get that part out, this way we went a little bit out of order, but I want to speak, uh, one last point, on, on, uh, why we drink, until we don't know the difference, between blessed is Haman, and cursed is Mordechai, or blessed is Mordechai, and cursed is Haman. So, there is a Gemara in Chulin, page 139, oh it's late, okay, 139b, that says like this, so we'll finish in, in the next uh, three minutes, so, there was, uh, the, the Gemara goes like this, the Gemara says, where do we know Haman from the Torah? Where do we see Haman in the Torah? Because everything is in the Torah. Where do we know Haman? So the Gemah answers. It says in the in the Pasukim in B'lashit, in Genesis chapter three verse eleven, it says Hamina ha'etz. It means Hamin ha'etz. The letter is Hamin is Hey Mem Nun, and it's the same letters as Haman. And that is the, the the and the secret to know about Haman is the secret of the etz the tree of knowledge of good and bad. Now the same idea runs parallel in both stories. Adam, Adam, in the story of the of the tree of the etz he had everything. You could do everything, except for one thing. Don't eat from one tree. Don't eat from one tree, everything else you got. Haman, in the story of Fuim, he had everything. He had literally everything, except for one thing he didn't have. Mordechai did not want to bow down to him. So you see a very, both parallel, where did their downfall come? But they both chased the things that they couldn't have. They both chased, they both took something they couldn't have, that's what what the, the, um, the downfall was. Now, there's one opinion that what was the actual tree? The actual tree in the, in the tree, in the etsadas, the tree of knowledge, was grapes. It was actually grapes. And Achashverosh, his party, was also, was wine. It was also the same idea, was grapes. So the sin of Adam was wine. The sin of Achashverosh was wine. So now, what we're doing is we're, we're fixing up. We're fixing all those, that thing with, with the drinking again. Now, what happened when Adam drank from the, from the, he ate the, from the tree? He knew, right, it's a das it's a tree of knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of good and bad. Etzadas Tovarah. It's a, a tree of knowledge between good and bad. So now he has an extra uh, perception of between good and bad. So what we're doing when we're drinking is we're trying to bring ourselves before the sin, prior to this sin. You know why we do that? So we keep on drinking. We drink to the level that we don't know the difference between good and bad. Allah and is high. We're going prior to the sin. That's why we're drinking to that level. Now we're drinking to the level that you know we actually want to. We're drinking to the level that we're we're backdating before the sin of Adam and Eve. Before the sin and that 's why we bring us to, to, to this completely uh, holy level I want to finish off with uh, with uh, one, you know one important uh, you know uh, note is that the story of of, of Purim is an amazing story. It really is unbelievable what the Jews went through and where we were how successful we were. It really is a time of celebration. It really is a time of happiness, a time of 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 true joy, a true happiness. And unfortunately, uh, you know, it, because of this, because it has so much potential, Purim that it gets it gets uh it, you know, people take it to the to the bad extreme. The, you have so much potential for holiness on this day. You could get so close to God on a day like this. When you're a little bit tipsy, you could get so much closer to God because you have this this you know this this, you know, you just like let it go. And everything is, you, you have so much, especially if you're in a good environment. By all means, if there's any mixed porn parties, it's not, you're not allowed to do, go to those things. There are people I remember years ago, they, they make, they make mixed porn parties in like clubs and like things. I'm like, that's not, you're not, that's not a porn. That's exactly what we're not allowed to do and we're not supposed to do on porn. That's exactly what got us into the problem in the first place. So, we obviously have to make sure if we're going to a Purim party, we're going to that. We make sure it's a kosher Purim party, a, a place that you're able to actually grow spiritually. There's so many places that you could go to and, on this day that could ruin you. It could ruin you. Yeah. Everything has potential on both ends of the spectrum. So we have to be very, very careful. comes to We have to know that it, we have tremendous, tremendous potential on this day. It is a crazy day. You could ask for anything you want from God on that day. It's such a strong, on um, Purim, such a strong day for prayer. Such a strong day for like the the Yom Kippurim is Yom like Purim. Purim is the highest of the highest. You could get so high on on Purim. Well, both ways. You could get uh, you you could literally get so spiritual spiritual on this day. Make sure you do it right. Make sure you do it smart. Don't mess it up. Um, and everybody should have an amazing, a most successful, most spiritually uplifting, the happiest possible point that they could possibly have and only grow from it and only be the healthiest, the smartest, and the safest. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.